Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Insider, the last inside a hotel room because my bathroom reconstruction is done and I will be back in the home studio very soon. But uh, we will have a special bonanza. I have a new bathroom bonanza here on the show. Matthew Collar, Tuesday morning left guard, Jeremiah Searles, who last week pronounced that what goes up must come down. And wow, it came down, Jeremiah, <laughs> crashing to earth in 40 to 3 fashion. I mean, I had a feeling. I mean, like I said last week, I had a feeling it was going to happen. Now, did I think 40 to 3? No. I thought 28 to 10 or maybe like even a 24 to 13. But the 40 to 3 just complete dismantling of the Minnesota Vikings was not what I anticipated. But I also remember saying last week, like, we shouldn't panic if they lose this game. However, losing in the fashion in which they lost, slight panic has crept into the back of my mind. Uh, your opinion on whether getting right back after it is good or bad, because they're saying good. I don't know what else they can say if they were going like, oh, my God, like, you know, they're not they're not going to do that. Uh, but you still have some guys banged up. And I thought what was really noticeable in the game, aside from Christian Derrissaw, which we'll get to, was also that Zadarius Smith was out in some of the key spots, and he's been dealing with this knee thing. I mean, that guy's been playing like an MVP or Defensive Player of the Year, and if he's even a little bit slowed, and Justin Jefferson has a turf toe, and like all of a sudden you start going like, wait, they needed to stay healthy, and there's some guys that are banged up a little bit here. So I think it cuts both ways that, yes, you get an opportunity to get right back out there and play an inferior team to Dallas, but also like they're not the healthiest right now. Yeah, you know, for a psyche as a player, it's great to just get back right to it, you know, like because honestly, you don't have time to stew over it on Sunday night and Monday and Tuesday before you get back to game planning Wednesday. I mean, honestly, with the short weeks like this, you don't even really watch the tape. You watch a correction tape, which I'm sure there was plenty. You know, you watch a quick correction tape like, hey, got to fix this, got to fix this. And then it's right into base install for um, the Patriots, right? I'm not dumb, right? It's the Patriots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, My brain's all over the place, dude. Um, But, you know, so you get right back into it with the Patriots. But you're also right. Like physically, it's the hardest thing to do in the NFL. The turnaround from a Sunday to a Thursday game is the physically hardest thing to do within the year, especially at this point in the year. You always prayed you got your early season Thursday night game, like week three or week four, so you could just get it out of the way, have that kind of mini buy, and then get to it. Because when you are at this point of the year, it takes a full three or four days just to get yourself back to practice shape. And now you got to be even four days back to game shape. You know, so yeah, it's really tough for you as a player to get that physically. Um, The good news is you can just flush it and move on and and have to do that. But the problem is the other team saw the weaknesses too. 
the other team sees where you got exposed at times too, and it doesn't give you a ton of time to fix those things on an individual basis, right? The individual part of practice is where you fix the technique errors and the fundamental errors that in protection or whatever it is, and you just don't have as much time because it's a short week and you're focused on game planning. So that's where it can really hurt you. And you're going to have to make real time adjustments in order to fix these correctable things, or you're just going to continue to keep getting tested on them until we get them fixed. Now, I think that it can uh, also swing both ways with a horrible loss like that, where it can be a bit of a wake up call for maybe things that you were getting away with, uh, or it can uh, start some finger pointing because this wasn't a noon game that 16 people saw. I just saw today that the ratings were like set some record or whatever else, highest ratings of the year. So the most people of any game that wasn't on Sunday night football saw you get your tail whooped 40 to three. Um, that means that people start looking around and go, wait, whose fault was this? And uh, I have some quotes. Mm. In fact, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of singing on the show, but what does that quote mean? Yeah, we need. And and I've also got some stats uh, also uh, to look at. What does that that mean? But what does that quote mean from Justin Jefferson yesterday? Now, this really stuck out to me. I didn't see a whole lot of buzz in the NFL world about this, like, your pro football talks and so forth. I didn't see this really picked up on, but really caught my ear. So Justin Jefferson said he was asked about like the offense and kind of what happened and how hard it is as a receiver when you're just starting to run your route and your quarterback's getting pressured and how that impacts receivers. So I'll give you his full answer. It's a little bit long. He says, Kirk was getting sacked before you're even out of your break. It's definitely a tough situation, but we have to move toward more quick game, getting the ball out quicker, putting the ball in space and letting people work things that we need to adjust throughout the game. If it's not working the way we planned, we need to find a way to adjust to go towards something that will work for us better. We can't continue to do the same thing throughout the game, even though it's not working. And then he was asked, so do you wish that, an adjustment was made mid game. And he said, of course I wish we adjusted faster, getting the ball out quicker and not letting Micah Parsons and the rest of the rest of their D line get a chance to get back there to Kirk. It's just things we need to learn from. This is a new team. It's a new coaching staff and we're still learning to play with each other. It's a lesson learned your analysis, because that to me sounds like Justin Jefferson saying my coach didn't adjust. And you know what, Mr. Jefferson, I totally agree. I totally agree. From from the moment that Micah Parsons swings his giant arm and smacks the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hand, it should have been like, uh-oh, we need to dial up some screens, some slants, some quick stuff to get people the ball because today we are not going to be able to take seven-step drops. And there were many times where when Kirk is getting sacked, I'm looking down the field, the receivers are 20, 30 yards down the field running deep routes like that. That just wasn't going to work. So I'm actually on his side that I think that that was a mid-game adjustment that needed to happen pretty quickly and didn't. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. No, but that also could be – that sounds a little coach-speaky too. You know, that might be something that KOC and them had already mentioned to Jefferson. You know, like, hey, we have to do this better. So I can see both sides of it where Jefferson's like, yeah, it's a new staff. It's new everything. We have to do that. And him basically being like, this is what we have to do. But I could also see in the coaches and even Kirk – 
coming to them after the game or coming to them, you know, and saying like, hey, we need to do this better. This is something we have to adjust better. So I don't necessarily know if I feel like that's him throwing shade at KOC. Um, it could be 100%. It could be. And I agree. It needs to happen. Uh, the in-game adjustments when you're facing a defensive line like that. I mean, the same thing should have happened against the Eagles. You know, when you've got a defensive line that's really, really good and they're going to go, that's how teams have had success against those teams. The other thing that everyone, like we talk about the quick passing game is we never establish the run. If you don't establish the run against a team that has built to rush the passer, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so we just never established that. From the word go, there was nowhere to go with the running game. There was nowhere to do anything with that. And so, yeah, obviously, if you your fallback to no running game has to be a quick passing game, which is the equivalent of your running game. And when you don't do that either, then it's just it's all all bets are off. Those dudes pin their ears back and go, especially when they get a lead. So, you know, I think that it's not as much for me as an in-game adjustment as much as just knowing your personnel and knowing what you have and doing it even before the game begins. Like instead of starting the game with these long seven-step drops, like, hey, dink and dunk this thing for a little bit, frustrate these pass rushers, and then we'll take our shots versus the other way was like, we'll take our shots and then we never came back to the dink and dunk. You know, I would like to see us start more with that short passing game, the quick slants, the hooks, the screens, just to keep guys on their toes and not let Micah Parsons just get into a rhythm or let Lawrence get into a rhythm because you see it happens to Daniel Hunter and it happens to Zary Smith. When they let them not get in a rhythm, they don't have as much success. I think what surprised me more is just that quotes like that usually end up getting grabbed and put on the screen on ESPN and NFL Network and having four NFL players, former NFL players debate was Justin Jefferson calling out his coach and everything else. Um, Jefferson has a very honest way about him, though. And so, I mean, it's, it might be that they talked about that in the morning meeting and he just sort of said it like, yeah, we need to adjust quicker because that's what we spent this morning on about, you know, getting to this quick passing game. The thing about it, though, is their quick passing game has not worked this year mm-hmm. by the numbers. They are averaging five and a half yards per attempt when they throw the ball, when it travels less than 10 yards. That's down a whole yard from two years ago with Gary. And it's down even more than that from 2019, where they were at their best at throwing short passes and screens. They have no screen game. I mean, Johnny Munt has been their screen game this year. <laughs> There's, I mean, the, the, for all the talk in the offseason, and this just let it be a lesson to you, Delvin Cook's going to line up at receiver. Delvin Cook's going to be a huge part of the passing game. Nowhere to be found. His uh, yards per target is half what it was in 2019 when Kevin Stefanski found ways to use him effectively. And it, and I think that was what was so great about that offense in 2019 is screen game just if the other teams were being aggressive upfield, they were getting hit with big plays on screens and passes to Delvin Cook. And it just has not been really effective at all. I think they need that more than ever now because you're going up against a team that leads the NFL in hurry percentage. You're going up against a team in the New York Jets soon that really gets after the quarterback. And you're doing it without Christian Derrissaw. Like, quick game better show up pretty fast here. Otherwise, it's going to be seven more sacks against the Patriots and Jets. Yeah, it's got to it's got to be a pivotal part of your game plan, whether it's a receiver screen or even a tight end middle screen, just something to keep the pass rushers honest, you know, because if like you said, if the screen game's not existing, guess what they're not working on during the week? They're not working on the screen game, so they're not worried about, oh, is it a screen or can I just completely just pin my ears back and go like if it's pass rush first all the way you're putting your offensive line at a disadvantage. 
And, you know, you look around some of the teams, like I look at the teams that have struggled to protect the quarterback, right? Look at Cincinnati Bengals. They had two huge plays this week on screens. One of them went for a touchdown, right? Like, and their offensive line has struggled this year. It's just been not great. And it's against a pass rushing machine of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, so when you have teams that are ultra aggressive, if you hit them early with those screen games, it slows those rushers down. It just does. They start thinking more. They start trying to think, is this a true pass rush or is he giving me the inside move or is he letting me have the outside because they're going to throw a middle screen? You know, so all those things have to get brought into consideration when you're game planning for what you want to start the game with. Like like I said, I'd like to start the game next week with more quick game and passing and screens, even though it has been successful to the date, like you have to do it if you don't have your franchise left tackle who sucks that he got re-injured and and we don't need to dive and labor it too much but man one week's not enough it's just not enough for a concussion guy you're seeing it time and time again these guys come back after a week and one more hit and now they're going to miss two weeks or he's going to miss three weeks and it's the worst time of year for you to lose your left tackle so hate that for him but you know when you have backup left tackles it doesn't usually end well for you it's just not a position that you can take a back seat on and so you have to adjust with that and that might even be more chips and more guys lined up but guess what that's more guys not in the route tree that's more guys not in the it just it affects the whole offense when you have a left tackle that you can't just depend to block one-on-one yeah and kevin o'connell said that they went through the entire protocol with him Mm -hmm. and i believe you that you did but i think the protocol is flawed it, it just is i mean matthew stafford had the same exact thing happen Tua had the same exact thing happen where you come back quickly after a concussion and well, the Dolphins didn't even admit the first one was a concussion. So that, that's an extra level. Um, but the Christian Dersaw had to leave that game against Buffalo and go to the locker room and then to come back this quickly. I think that there's a gap in the protocol when it comes to this, because I'm sure that you can pass it and I'm sure that you could go out there and have a practice. But what is a known proven fact is having one makes you more susceptible to two and the more that you build up like the head hits the easier it becomes so if you've had a pretty serious concussion seven days ago the first time you get your neck snap back you might have another one and now they're going to be without him for who knows how long uh, it could be a serious amount of time as they go up against two of the best pass rushes in the league in New England and the New York Jets. It probably would have been better. I'm sure if they could do it again, they would say, let's give him another week um, before we do this or or even more, even if he's able to pass the protocol. I don't blame teams who are going by the protocol for saying, all right, well, he passed all those things and he feels better or whatever else. But I don't know how they reckon with just this fact that this happens all the time where guys are having second concussions. So now this is a serious issue that they have to deal with. On your point about screens, Kirk Cousins this year is 19th in screen yardage. And when they throw a screen, they average 4.2 yards per attempt on a screen. I have to scroll to find where that ranks. 31st in the NFL in screen yards per attempt. They would be better off handing off than they are throwing a screen pass, which is really not how it's supposed to be. So this this should be a huge part. But the problem is there's only three days to figure this out. Mm-hmm. So how difficult is it to make adjustments when you have to go back and play on a Thursday? It, it's tough to make adjustments, but the good news is I promise you all those screens have been installed. 
you know, so it's not like you're installing new plays. Those all got installed in training camp and OTAs, and they're probably installed every single week. You know, you don't go into a game with like, we have no screens on the play sheet. Like, that's just not how it works. Like, they're there. It's just a matter of getting to them early, I think, because obviously everyone knows and throwing them in on first down. You know, everyone knows when it's third and eight, third and nine, third and long. It's like draw or screen, like right. Like everyone knows that, and that's when you've kind of seen more of the screens for the Vikings is those obvious screen situations. You know, but you sprinkle a receiver screen or you sprinkle a a tight end outside screen on a first and ten or a second and eight. Like those are when you start to get the success with those things, based off of the fact, um, based off of the fact that you know you can really catch them off guard. Um, or, you know, it's a, they think it's a obvious rundown and then all of a sudden you've got a receiver screen out of the ball quick. Like those are all installed. I promise you they're all on the play sheet. So I think it's just a matter of getting them repped this week in practice, like getting them used to it and then just going out and executing them. Uh, okay. So we need some, what does that stat mean? Um, I, because I, I really, this is when I really know, like sometimes it's rhetorical. Sometimes it's like, Hey, here's a stat, but we both know what it means. So far this year, I think it's been noticeable that Kirk Cousins' statistics have not been the same as they have been in the past, right? That and and I think it was very easy to be like, well, that's because they haven't been playing from down two scores as much, where you rack up a lot of stats, even though he's thrown the same number of passes trailing this year as he did last year. Just I look that up, trust me. But he is now in ESPN's QBR 25th in traditional quarterback rating 22nd. And his PFF grade last year was an 88, which was one of the highest of his career, if not the highest. This year, it's a 70, which is the same as it was in 2017, the worst of his career. What does that stat, what do, what do those stats mean to you? Because I think when they were winning all those games, it's very easy to be like, yeah, I don't know, like as long as he comes through at the end. But now the accumulation of more than half of a season is that he's not playing football at the highest level that he's played in fact his numbers are much closer to someone like daniel jones so far this year i mean i think a lot of it has to do with the o-line play i mean i think i i think if we want to play what does that stat mean i think i saw a stat that said he was pressured 63 percent of his dropbacks last week i don't care if you're the greatest of all time you're not going to play well if that's the case it's impossible if you're not if you're getting your feet set and getting your first read is where's the rush not where's my first option like you're not going to play well. And I think that that has been an accumulation over the last few weeks of it's gotten worse and worse. But the thing is, he's been able to bail himself out with Justin Jefferson. But when you're down by 37 points, it you can't bail yourself out anymore. Like there's nowhere to just make the magic happen. Like when it's off the rails for this team, it's completely off the rails. And we saw that on Sunday. You know, when you can keep yourselves in the game, every NFL team has enough talent to give themselves a chance to win at the end of the game. And I think the Vikings have more talent than some of the lesser teams. So they have a chance to win more games, which is why they have. And I think that the problem is when we saw it on Sunday, like everything went wrong. Like you couldn't have scripted one more thing to go wrong. And so Kirk Cousins is just a factor in that. You know, I don't think it's fair to say, oh, Kirk played so terrible. It's why we lost. Like, no, the defense still gave up 40 points. You know, like we still couldn't run the football. We still couldn't do anything. Like Kirk is obviously the focal point because he is the quarterback. But I think that he is it's an accumulation of what we talked about at the beginning of the year where he was missing open throws. He was missing those things. I think he's gotten better with that over the last few weeks of you haven't seen the wide open receivers just being missed. But I think with him getting as pressured as much as he had and getting hit as much as he had, he's getting older. I think it's wearing on him. 
I think it's wearing on his body. I think it's wearing on his ability to stand in the pocket and deliver that extra second because he knows he's going to take a lick. Like those things are all wearing on him, which is affecting his ultimate performance. Folks, maybe you've noticed people in your office with what looks like an open tall boy at their desk in the morning at work. Well, it's not a beer. It's more likely it's a can of liquid death, which sounds pretty crazy at first, but it's simply mountain water from the Alps. It's called liquid death because it will murder your thirst and kill plastic pollution, which does seem aggressive, but that's their mission, and they are donating 10% of profits to help reduce plastic pollution. The problem is that plastic water bottles often aren't recyclable because they're not profitable to recycle, whereas aluminum cans can be turned into profit. Liquid Death sent me some cases and their water and their sparkling lime are both delicious and maybe I'll have to start pounding them in front of my friends who know I'm not a drinker just to see their reactions. So go get Liquid Death at your local Target, Whole Foods Market, or Hy-Vee or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com insider. That's liquiddeath.com insider. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. His uh, completion percentage when pressured, 42%. And his quarterback rating when pressured is a 66. So he basically becomes, you know, one of the worst quarterbacks in the league when pressured. And this has always really been the case. I mean, but these numbers are even worse than in the past. And he's facing pressure quite a bit uh, after that game, which, of course, ramped up the numbers for sure. Uh, <laughs> but he's the fifth most pressured per drop back quarterback in the NFL. And I just want you to apologize to everyone for claiming they had a good offensive line early in the year. I'm I just so sorry. Why would you do that? You're the you're you're an offensive lineman. You were supposed to be the expert on the show to tell us whether it's a good offensive line or not. What happened? Listen, the, listen, the tackles are great. <laughs> The tackles are fantastic, but when you lose your left tackle and then you have a rookie that starts hot and just, I don't know what happened, but his soul has left his body. He no longer is there. He is just a shell standing in there at left guard at right guard. And then Ezra Cleveland is Jekyll and Hyde again. It's it's who was he? Was he the guy from Buffalo throwing dudes around or is he the guy that has turnstile for arms and stands there? You know, it's just it's such a inconsistency thing. And the definition of good offensive line play from a group to an individual is consistency. And so we've been so inconsistent at that position and really the middle interior being more of the inconsistent than the edges that it's just started to wear on defenses because they know now, Okay, fine, we'll just send middle pressure instead of trying to get off the edges. And we can win with only sending our three technique when we know the center sliding away because he's going to win that one-on-one matchup against Ingram or he's going to win it against Cleveland. Like, they just know that. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I am sorry, Vikings land. I apologize, but you got they, they tricked me. They duped me. I drank the, poop, the purple Kool-Aid um, on the inside, and I, I just won't do it again. I can't do it again. I will not claim it until we rush the ball more effectively.
Well, on the right guard position, I mean, you are not wrong that he started out the first couple of weeks and looked totally fine. Yes. And then it just somewhere along the line. Well, I mean, I think a major part of it is teams are super good at spotting whoever the mark is. And once they do, oh, man, I mean, they start a lot of teams. And of course, Dallas didn't need to do this, but a lot of teams have run like five man pressures. So everyone has to go one on one. I mean, they are just making sure that they find Who's the weak guy and how are we going to attack him? And this tells you something, too, about like PFF grades always have to be in context because Garrett Bradbury's grades have been a little better because teams are like, oh, we found someone worse. <laughs> like we found someone that we're going to attack even more. Uh, I think that you are right about the pressure on Kirk Cousins being the major cause of his statistics. I also think that with this offense and we've seen it in Los Angeles when it doesn't have an elite offensive line, it struggles. I mean, the Rams offensive line has been hurt a lot and they have been horrendous this year on offense last year, number one pass blocking in the league. And they're great because I think that that these routes take a long time to develop. And if you can't block it up, you just end up with a lot of pressure, a lot of sacks, a lot of throwaways. I believe Kirk uh, is either number one or number two in the league in throwaways also, I mean, so, you know, I I think that there really does need to be some serious adjustments here because you may have this huge lead. You definitely do. Eight and two, you should be very happy. You don't have to give those wins back or apologize for them. But there's still seven football games to go this season, and you got to win some of them. I mean, you can't have your offense score three points. And I will get to the defensive side of it. I know some people ask me, like, why did you focus so much on the offense after the game? Because if you punt seven times in a row, you're going to give up a lot of points to a team that has cd lamb and tony pollard and dak prescott like that's going to happen this defense this defense ain't winning you a six to three football game it's just not going to happen without delvin tomlinson it wasn't going to happen against anybody pretty mm-hmm. much right that's just not who they are um but those statistics though are pretty stunning considering what cousins has done over his career and my thought was midway through the season well they actually won games with kind of the down kirk You know, if he hits that upswing that he usually does at some point, but I don't know if it's coming like the way that they have struggled to get the ball to like KJ Osborne, the the struggle to throw the ball to Delvin Cook. It has been so much the Jefferson offense that I mean, even TJ Hawkinson was kind of taken out of this game and a little bit took himself out of the game with a a drop and, and and maybe a misplay along the sideline. But I mean, adding a tight end is great. It's I, I don't know if it's enough to push them up to the point where you feel like, oh, they've got a bunch of weapons that are all clicking in unison. There's just a lot of guys who are underperforming what they have in the past uh, other than Justin Jefferson. Yeah, and I think a lot of it just comes back to are those guys just assuming Jefferson's going to just be fine and he's just going to do it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's not working. And they just don't have these reps together, right? The the in-game reps of Kirk to Osborne and Kirk to Thielen, like they just haven't been there this year. And so when all of a sudden it's like, man, we got to figure out how to make something happen. Like those guys just aren't winning. And I don't, I'd have to study the receiver tape a little bit more to know, like, are they just truly not getting open? Or is it just the fact that, you know, Kirk's missing some of them? But I think that when it's all encompassing like that, like it's it's a piece of everybody. It's the receivers. It's the running back. It's uh, Jefferson. It's Kirk. It's Dalvin. Like it's it's all of it. But I just I can't belabor the point anymore, but it all starts up front. 
Like every single piece of that starts up front. Kirk can be on the upswing, but it's like Jefferson said, if he's getting sacked before dudes are out their break, I don't care if it's a seven yard slant. That means someone's in his teeth right away. And there's hands up right away. Like until the front gets fixed. And I mean, apparently Chris Reed murdered somebody and is not allowed to play football because why is he not playing? I, I don't understand. Like, he's got to get a shot. They, Eddie Ingram, I love you, dude. You're a rookie. I know we talked about not letting your confidence shake. But after that performance, it is time to try something different. And Chris Reed is a proven veteran in this league. He's got to take it. He's got to get a shot. He's got to get an opportunity because until we fix it up front, Kirk's going to continue to get more rattled. The run game is going to continue to sputter. And teams are going to continue to attack that position. And we have to get it fixed. I mean, that it should have been the wake-up call we kind of talked about, which is when you're winning, you can't just be like, oh, this guy is benched, because then everyone's going to go like, hey, come on. I mean, we're we're doing just fine. But when you have a loss like that, also on a short week, though, might be difficult when you're already changing left tackles to then also change right guard. So then you're talking about, you know, two-fifths of the line being completely different um, from what it's been. But Chris Reed is veteran enough that he should be able to step in if they need him. And I, I, I do think that, like, as a coach, you probably struggle with this is our record. This is where we stand. And we're, like, looking pretty darn good. But then – how do I make these changes also? Because if you're now looking at the last three games, you know, Washington, it took until the fourth quarter to get to double digit points. You're down 27, 10 in Buffalo and you have to make miraculous catches to come back. Like you deserve all the credit in the world for doing it, but like, that's not a position you want to be in. And then you lose 40 to three. So then you look around and you're like, there's some cracks in the foundation here that you have to find a way to fix and you have to push some buttons. So I guess that's what I was going to ask about the offense is just like, Where's your, where's your concern meter? You know, the, the blue and the yellow mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm, that, like mm-hmm. wh- where is your concern meter about how they're going to be able to navigate some of these good defenses that they're going to face going forward here? I'm in the yellow. I think I'm in the yellow, which is basically kind of right in the middle because I think we're at a really critical, like turning point of the season here. You know, we've had a lot of success early on winning football games. We've learned how to handle winning really well. I'm really curious to see how this regime and how this team handles losing. You know, like, how do they handle getting their hand this? They're getting their tails handed to them. You know, like, what is the what is the mentality? Is it the leaders step up and the Patrick Petersons and the Smiths of the world are like, hey, I've been here. Here's how we're going to just go about this. Or is it something where the cracks in the armor start turning into just huge glaring problems? Right. I think for a long time, because we've been eight and two, we've been putting band-aids over open heart surgery here. Like plug the plug here, plug here. But now it's it's got to be OK. Everything was on full display on Sunday. All of the issues, everything. Where do we address first? And how do we address it? It's going to be really interesting of how this KOC and everyone does this, because this will be the first time we've seen it this year. You know, this with the loss to Philly was it wasn't great, but, you know, we were able to put string games back together. But all the success came tumbling down. Like, is it a we picked right back up where we left? That was a fluke. Or is it like, wow, we've got to basically start from the ground up on offense and defense here and kind of rebuild ourselves for the back half of this season? Um, You know, so I'm not real sure what the answer for how to get it fixed all right away. But I will be curious as to where the points of emphasis this short week were to fix the issues. I I really like the way you phrase that critical point in the season feels totally right because you have a quick turnaround and then, you know, the jets are kind of in peril a little bit with their quarterback, but also look at their defense. Mm -hmm. Their defense is phenomenal. And I mean, that, that could be one of those low scoring battles. So you have to 
figure it out. And I think it also is going to tell us something about their ability to figure it out. Because if they win this, they win the Jets game and they start you know, cruising, they're going to face the Lions in Detroit, which is never a super easy game. And the Lions are starting to play some better football now. Uh, Indianapolis is playing hard for Jeff Saturday. I guess they want to kind of prove people wrong after getting criticized a lot there. But guess what Indianapolis has? Good defensive line. Guess what the New York Giants have? Good defensive line. Like they're going to face a lot of serious challenges. It's not going to get easier where you just have um, some, you know, easy teams to block up and you'll be fine. There's going to be pressure on the quarterback and how they adapt, I think, will tell us a lot. Because if you stumble down the the stretch here and you end up with 10 or 11 wins and you've had a bunch of disappointing losses down the stretch of the second half of the season, I mean, then we're still going to look around and be like, you know what it, fluky right like that first half was fluky so they what the, their goal needs to be prove that it wasn't like make the adjustments to prove that it wasn't uh rather than letting this snowball and pile up because you can lose three games in the nfl in an eye blank and then all of a sudden you go from the darlings of the league to just another team uh they can't let that happen they also can't give up 40 points on defense you're right about that and i know it, it took us a while to get to this but um i thought that defensively they didn't get after the quarterback, which is a big deal. But also, like, playmakers making plays for Dallas. You have to credit Tony Pollard, CeeDee mm-hmm. Lamb, and Dak Prescott is a darn good quarterback. Nobody can tell me that Dak Prescott isn't a really great quarterback because every time I've seen him play against the Vikings, he's making great plays. He rips them apart. So I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to come away from that other than this is kind of who your defense is going to be. If you don't hold the ball a lot on offense and you don't score points on offense, you're not going to win games with a defense that especially is dinged up. Andrew Booth Jr.'s out there playing. He was on the injury report again. Like, this is the, I don't know, fourth or fifth injuries had just this year. Like, th- there's going to be some weaknesses on this defense. And I don't know if there's an easy answer to fix that. I mean, the easy thing, too, and uh, I was looking it up right now, and forgive me, I don't have it in front of me, but did we have any turnovers? No, that's, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a huge yep. piece. You know, how have we won games? How I couldn't remember if we had one fumble or not. You know, but the way we've won games is turnovers. We've st- ripped the ball away from Smith-Marset at the end of the game, or we picked off Josh Allen, right? Like, the defense has been really good about finding ways to get turnovers and steal possessions for an offense. And we didn't do that one time against Dallas. And when you're going against an offense that has the playmakers like that, and they were clicking all cylinders, you got to give credit to Dallas too. They've been so up and down. They got handed to them in Green Bay, you know, and they came out and they found a way to make sure that they could click. And when a team in the NFL, I don't really care what any team it is, when you're clicking on all cylinders, you're hard to beat. And when you have a defense who's getting after the quarterback and an offense that is established in the run and you got guys breaking big plays down the field, like you're going to run into a buzzsaw occasionally. But I think the bigger issue that the Vikings are facing is we talk about an offense like our secondary is a problem. Our secondary is an issue. You know, Patrick Peterson is great. He is what he is. But when you're missing key pieces in your secondary, there's too many good receivers in the NFL. And then you tag team that with the piggyback of Darius Smith is not 100%. You and I have said it to exhaustion on the show. If those two guys and Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith are not 100%, we just can't get to the quarterback. We just can't because it's like, oh, well, they're not both out here. Well, let's just slide to one of them. You slide to one of them, and then you're saying, hey, other tackle, you handle 
hold Wanham over there and we'll be good to go. And that's what happened. And we weren't able to just consistently get after him. And I think that unless we find ways to scheme up and get to the quarterback with blitzing, which is always a dangerous thing to do in this league, but I think that's going to be the answer of how do we get the ball out of the quarterback's hand quicker is we're going to have to start sending five or sending six occasionally. Folks, if you're looking for a way to celebrate Minnesota's insane football season, go to SodaStick.com. See all the different designs from Kirko chains to the gritty to everything skull related. SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off your purchase. I also think that we do have to start giving Kellen Moore some credit for being a pretty good offensive mind. Mm. Him putting two tight ends out there, knowing that Delvin Tomlinson was no, he also knew how the Vikings would handle that. Delvin Tomlinson's out, which cannot be underscored. I mean, the guy was one of the 15 best defensive tackles by PFF grade before he had the calf injury, how good he is. But they know that they don't put another linebacker on the field. They put a fifth defensive lineman. So that means Jonathan Bullard, James Lynch, along with Harrison Phillips, who's been very good this year. But those guys are backups. I mean, so you end up with two backups on the defensive line, and then your your defensive ends or your outside linebackers are wide. I mean, that's a lot of opportunity to run the ball, especially when you're a team like Dallas that runs the ball so effectively. They put so much emphasis on it. You could really see it. Like, there were opportunities to run all over the place. And I think that – you know, in previous weeks against Buffalo, against Washington, where the defense was flat out excellent, was against the run. and But those teams don't run very well. And then, and then you face a team that does. And I think this is what New England will try to do to them, is put a couple tight ends on the field if Tomlinson isn't ready, which is um, not really sure if he's going to be ready or not. But if he's not ready to go on Thursday, I think they're going to do the same thing. They're going to look at it and go, why not? put two tight ends on the field, make you put those extra defensive linemen out there who are just not guys that are supposed to play 50 plays in a game and take advantage and run the football effectively. I I think that should be their biggest fear against New England. Yeah, and New England's great at game planning. I mean, what what they do is they might not have the flashiest toys, but they've schemed up ways to win football games. I mean, I think back to the wind game in Buffalo last year where they threw the ball like three times, right? Like they're going to test you, especially on a short week. Like we talked about, did they make the corrections necessary? But this is almost one of those where it's like, is it a correction or is it a personnel issue? And if it's a personnel issue, then it's just got to be guys making plays. Like, you can't scheme a way to stop the run if guys just are getting double teamed off the ball and gap integrity is suffering because of it. And Eric Kendricks has got Lynch sitting in his lap so he can't run through and make a play in the backfield like we've seen him do over and over when Tomlinson and Linville used to be there and all that stuff. So, you know, I think that I would like to see us maybe switch some stuff up where if they go 12 personnel, two tight ends, like, you know, maybe you bring an extra linebacker on. Maybe you you shift over into an overfront or, you know, kind of shift into that under, put the Sam linebacker up on the ball type of thing, you know, try and play some more gaps. But again, I think that also comes back to running pressure where there's run blitzes, you know, running certain run blitzes, whether it's a Sam off the edge or a Will off the edge, you know, just something that gets guys slanting and moving that isn't having those backup guys having to say, hey, stand in the B gap and take these two starting tackles on. You know, it's a cross this guy's face, try and slice through this gap, try and get disruption here because it's a feast or famine type of thing. There's a lot of times where 
teams that move a lot, they also give up a lot of explosive plays because if you get one guy out of their gap that gets stopped by an offensive lineman, like there's a huge hole there. But on the flip side, if you can get through and split a double team because you're slanting, you're going to be standing in the backfield with a chance for a TFL. So I think that if you have a team that's just going to continuing downhill run at you and just try and get it in, in between the tackles, change it up with some run blitzes and some stunts up front might be a good way to just try and protect some of those younger backup players. Do you think that they bounce back? I do. You know, I, I do. And I think a lot of it's going to be predicated on how well we can protect and how well we adjust. Like Jefferson said, if we come out and try to do the same game plan against Dallas, we're going to lose. But if we try and come out and say, okay, quick screens, quick slants, run game on offense, let's lean on that. And then we'll take secondary, like down the field shots um, will be our secondary option. And like, I'm not talking about not getting Justin Ball. Throw him the quick receiver screen. I'm fine with that. Get the ball in his hands, right? But also like rely on number four and rely on 18 to get the ball in their hands quickly. And then on defense, you know, I think stopping the run is going to be the number one thing. If we can go out there and stop the run and make Mac Jones have to throw the ball, then yeah, I think we'll be okay because again, it's going to be a war of who can establish the run. I think both teams are going to have very similar game plans um, going into this game, but I do think overall the Vikings have a better roster. I think when they're healthy, they definitely have a better roster. So lots going to depend on the injury report, but coming off the short week, veteran quarterback versus a younger quarterback, you know, I do think that that gives us the the advantage, but also veteran head coach versus new time head coach handling the short week. You know, there's there's definitely if you put the things and just kind of go who has what side to side, it's a pretty even matchup on that side. Besides, I think that our roster is just better. I think so, too. And that is definitely with the health asterisk, though, because if they mm-hmm. get Tomlinson back, that's a massive deal. Huge piece. Um, I don't know what Cam Dantzler's deal is, but they didn't put either of those guys on IR, and yet it's been a few weeks. It's like normally if someone's not put on IR, uh, that they'll come back in like two weeks, but that hasn't happened for either one of those guys. Dantzler being out, I think, has been a pretty big deal. And then Caleb Evans getting hurt after showing um, – you know, there's really some talent there. So, I th- yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's uh, it's going to be a very tough game for them. But I do think that they win it. I think they have enough veterans to be able to put what just happened in the past. And I also think that Mac Jones might throw you the football one or two mm-hmm. times um, that they are, you know, especially someone like Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith good enough to make the play when they get that opportunity. Um, I mean, look, the, you know, they scored three points last week, the Patriots. And Matt Patricia is who's running their offense, like the worst coach in football. So, like, you should have uh, an opportunity. Love to see it, hate to see it. Where would you like to go? You know, I'm going to go hate to see it. Um, Zach Wilson. You hate to see just terrible, terrible offense. I mean, Robert Salia with the – how was the offense? Dog like that was just it was so painful to watch that game was miserable to play and watch and just not good and I hated everything about it mostly because I think the Jets are defense has made such a great turnaround but Zach Wilson has also just been so hot or cold but you hate to see a guy like that go out and play like that and then have someone I saw a quote today was like his ceiling is Patrick Mahomes level I was like Patrick Mahomes never did that Patrick Mahomes never did that. Shut up. Don't talk like that. Don't you ever don't you mention their names in the same breath? Like, no. So I hated it. I hated that game. I hated Zach Wilson. You actually can't mention Patrick Mahomes' name in anyone's breath. I mean, just w- anyone. I mean, like Chargers people, they want to be like, oh, Herbert and Mahomes. Like, no, it's not. No, it's just not. It's not. This this man has been to the AFC Championship, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, 
AFC Championship. He's thrown 400 passes and averaged 8.2 yards per attempt. That's about as efficient as football exists in this universe. Like that, this is just an alien. Okay, it's this is totally, completely next level, all time great football play. Um, so I see that all the time. Of like, oh, is this guy as good as Mahomes? They're like, no. Nope. Like I saw Colin Coward was like, Caleb Williams could be the next month. Like, no, stop it. Stop it. He could be very good, but next Mahomes is like, okay, well, come in and have the best four years anyone has ever had in history. Cool. Uh, anyway, but that's not the point. Zach Wilson, also, grow up, pal. Yeah. Like, when you let down your team, you have to take ownership of that or you lose the locker room fast because quarterback, it's about leadership. It's about toughness. It's about finding a way like for a lot of quarterbacks. That's it. When you see guys who have like journeyman careers that are really not that talented at all, what does it usually come down to? Usually comes down to the guy's got some heart. Right? And he just like finds a way and he's going to do everything he possibly can. And at the end of the game, he's going to take responsibility. And Zach Wilson's got to learn a lesson there. And I think the Jets would be right to just go back to Joe Flacco. Like Joe Flacco's won in the league before. He won them a couple games early on the season or at least one. Like, I don't know. At least Joe Flacco's going to handle it like a grown up as opposed to uh, Zach Wilson being just a privileged child, I guess. I mean, he just, that's the way it struck out to me is just like, what? I didn't do anything wrong. You scored three points. You lost. Like, dude, you did a lot wrong. It's seven yards in the second half. I mean, it's just just an absolutely embarrassing performance and then acting like, what? Why is everyone questioning me? Like, I don't know, man. Couldn't figure it out. I guess we're all looking for the person who did this. Um, so that, yeah, that the way he handled that was definitely a hate to see it. Um, as far as also hate to see it from my perspective, people who are saying, oh, the Bills should have played in that snowstorm. <laughs> you don't understand. Like, those snowstorms are dangerous. But like very like because people are in Minnesota or other places, there's very few places where it snows like that. So they'd be like, oh, that would have been an awesome snow game. Like, no, 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 no. That would have been extremely dangerous for the entire city. It shuts down the city every every time they have one of those snowstorms, people die. Like people get stuck in their cars. It's 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 very, very, very scary stuff. And it needs to be taken seriously. So like it sounds cute online to tweet like, oh, I love snow games. Should yes, yes. Three, four inches of snow coming down. It's majestic. It's hilarious sometimes. That is five feet of snow, man. They had to dig Bills players out of their houses. Okay, this is this is different stuff. So hated to see people not understanding natural disasters. Even Richard Sherman, he's like, and this, he tweeted like, and they still don't want a dome. And I, I think Reed Ferguson tweeted back and I'm like, sorry, we don't dome our highways and streets. Like that was the main problem was just public safety. But man, yeah, I thought it was, the videos were cool. I thought the videos oh, yeah. were neat. Dog, like, dogs in the snow. Love dogs to see in it. the snow. Love to see it. Um, my love to see it's going to be we're we're going college football rivalry week. You know, I love rivalry week. It's so much fun. Like I wish Nebraska was worth a shit so that they could play Iowa and be fun with it, but they're just not. Um, but you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Auburn, like you just have so many good games this weekend to put a stamp on the college football season, um, which I love because you know, both seasons kind of fallen off with the CFP and like guys don't play and opt out and it's fine. But you know, this is kind of my favorite college football weekend of the year. Uh, I mean, definitely hate to see it was Minnesota, Iowa, just for all of like mm. football and it's just set football back like 50 years. Um, 
Hey, I, Mo I, Ibrahim, I, though, 263 yards rushing, over 300 yards total on the day. Like, that dude can't walk for multiple days. And he gets a win. So real quick before I uh, love to see it is just uh, so my furnace had some problems and I had and so some a guy was fixing it and he was like, oh, you're not watching the gopher game. And I was like, no, because I like football. So I'm like, no, man, no, I don't like spending my Saturday with sadness. Yeah. Sorry, man. Not watching the gopher game. Um, I love to see it as Jimmy Garoppolo mm. because Jimmy Garoppolo's own team didn't believe in him. Spent how many draft picks to draft somebody else? They didn't trade him. He had this injury. He had every reason to like not be ready to go and just like whatever bleep you. Could have pulled a Carson Palmer and just be like, I'm not playing. You get you guys got your own problems. Use CJ Beathard or whoever the hell else is on this team. And instead, this man is leading a team that I think could go to the Super Bowl. Like the way they just bludgeoned Arizona, the way their offense is operating right now. Um, Christian McCaffrey has been a great fit for them. And Jimmy G is just getting better every single week and more confident. And it's like he's sticking it to his own team. I love to see it. Like I, I never really understood why. Like I get it. Like, oh, everybody was into let's find the next Josh Allen or whatever. But when this guy went to an NFC championship and he went to the Super Bowl and his own team is still like, I don't know, man. Maybe like, well, good, good for you. Good for you, James. Yeah, they're going to be hard out. I mean, they, they may not win the division. They still may. But, you know, I think that you, no one's going to want to play them in the playoffs. Nobody with that physical style of offense that they play and watching Nick Bosa, his get off is absolutely insanity. Like he is one full step and like no one else has moved on the entire football team. Like, I don't know if it's the way he studies snap counts or if it's the way that he is just so quick twitch that the second that ball moves, he's just got everything firing, but he is playing at an absolutely insanely high level for a defensive end right now. The Vikings need to root for San Francisco the rest of the way because they do not want them as the number seven seed. I think the Vikings will probably end up playing Seattle if things kind of go the way we expect, but it's the NFL, so they may not. Uh, Jeremiah, great stuff. Terrific breakdown. We will talk again. I assume we'll just go next Tuesday, right? Yeah, let's just keep, right. keep it with it. We'll just stay, keep it stay on the, yeah, exactly. Enjoy so, the turkey day. Uh, yes, enjoy your Thanksgiving. The best to you and your family, and uh, we will talk again soon. Football football.